0: We're on the record. I'm Sheila Cass. Good morning. 17 people have registered to run for the top office of Baltimore City, 13 Democrats, four Republicans, and one unaffiliated. Leading up to the primary election on May 14th, I'll be speaking with several of the top candidates. Today, we'll talk to the person who holds the title of mayor and is running to keep it. Brandon Scott was elected four years ago after eight years representing East Baltimore on the city council and a year and a half as city council president. Welcome back to On the Record, Mayor Scott.
1: Thanks for having me back, ma'am, and good to see you.
0: What is the most important issue in the election for mayor?
1: Well, I think for me, it's about continuing the work around public safety, Uh, Sheila. As you know, when I was running for office uh, during 2020, there were two uh, things that everyone had to focus on. Right, one was dealing with obviously a pandemic of which the likes we hadn't seen in over a generation, and the second thing that everyone talked about in that 2020 election was violent crime in Baltimore. How we're gonna finally start to see a reduction in violence in Baltimore City and for me this is about continuing and finishing that work uh, developing, having developed Baltimore's first ever comprehensive approach to gun violence and now seeing the fruits of that, having the single uh, uh, largest single year drop in homicides in Baltimore's history uh, last year d- having that even be best right now, we're down 25% on homicides on that from last year uh, this is what this is about and doing it the right way Sheila right not going out and going back to the days of zero tolerance and when myself and other young black men that looked like me were just We were suspects every single time we walked out our door, whether we were going to school, whether we were coming home from college, where we were going to work, uh, while people in our neighborhoods were being shot and killed every day. But focusing through our group violence reduction strategy on the individuals who are most likely to be those trigger pullers or the victims, going after guns and fighting guns at every single level, removing illegal guns from our streets. We took 2,900 off the streets last year, going after gun traffickers, going after and winning against guns gun companies like polymer 80 we have taken the ghost guns guns. we have taken all hands on deck approach expanding community violence intervention work investing in job training and opportunities for people to allow them to walk away uh, from the life of crime and that's how we're going to continue to do that work
0: and yet there is some polling that indicates residents of the city don't feel safer how do you deal with that?
1: Well, you have to deal with that, we we'll continuing to do the work. And also talking to great folks like you in media who want to <laughs> talk about the Shameless. totality, totality uh, of what's happening, right? Because when you have that good news coming out, people can understand and see that. When you understand, when you have furthering the relationships, and I think the way that we're doing it is important, right? The reason why uh, people... That, that know about We Are Us, that know about Challenge to Change, that know about Tendaya Family and all these groups that have been working in the community and they understand the work is happening because these are community-driven, people-driven efforts that we are investing in for the first time. But we also have to continue to push on the other things, right? There's a lot of conversation, especially in media right now. Some media who has its own agenda, who doesn't talk about the violent crime drop, who will not will totally ignore that now and will focus on things like auto theft. Right, and what I want the residents and the voters of Baltimore to know is that we are continuing and will continue to enforce every single law on the books. In the last seven months, Sheila, uh, the Baltimore Police Department, at my direction, has made 365 arrests for just auto thefts alone. Right, but we also know you and I, a lot of those are repeats. We have to deal with the issues that are happening, and we know that I'm in Annapolis, I'll be there today, right, after I talk to you. I'm in Annapolis consistently making sure that policy changes are happening outside of city government. And I think that what happens in election time is uh, candidates who are run for office will say anything that they feel like will give them a leg up. But what they'll always get from me is they're going to get the honest truth. Uh, the folks that are out there making the arrests work for me, the mayor of Baltimore City. The police department is doing that each and every day. But you cannot look at them and you cannot look at me and get frustrated that when they make an arrest of someone in a stolen car, Sheila, at 9 a.m. in the morning, and then the same officers are seeing that same person at 10 p.m. at night, that is not a reflection of their work. That's talking about the other parts of the justice system and what's happening at the state level. That now that we finally have a governor who wants to fix these issues in Westmore, we'll be working with them to do that. That is what's going to continue to happen. And that's how you drive safety in Baltimore.
0: What kind of investment does the group violence reduction strategy require? And can you you keep making that investment?
1: It requires a, a, a big investment. And yes, we can. Because it's not just about when you prove things work, Sheila, and we've proven uh, that the group violence reduction strategy works. It's been uh, uh, not only proven by us and our numbers here. We had uh, outside uh, folks from the University of Pennsylvania who studied the group violence reduction strategy, have studied it in cities around the country who have validated the impact that the group violence reduction strategy had through their academic review. Uh, You also then are allowed to bring in other partners. So this is just not about city government and city money. We have philanthropic partners who are at the table. We have our wonderful federal partners and our great federal delegations who are at the table because folks see that this this strategy works, right? And I just think it's important to know that this is not just a law enforcement uh, intensive focus strategy. This is a focus strategy, starting with me as the mayor of Baltimore, developing through my mayor's office, the neighborhood safety engagement, the police commissioner, the, the state's attorney of Baltimore City, bringing an attorney general and others. But this is what happens. These groups where we have to do the work to in the data to identify who they are. These individuals get a letter from me as the mayor that says, we know who you are. We know what you do. We want you to stay alive, but you have to change your life. We'll give you every single resource that you need. Do you need job training? Do you need education, substance abuse, housing, relocation? Whatever it is, we'll give it to you. But if you don't take it from us, this is your last and chance that you're going to get, then law enforcement, uh, you will hear from them. We'll be, we announced uh, just yesterday, another takedown with our, our partner in the attorney general. This is how you make and drive down violence in the city. You don't have to criminalize everyone black that lives in the neighborhood. You don't have to criminalize people who just breathing and being in the neighborhood. You can focus on those who you know are most likely to be involved in a life of crime.
0: This is On the Record. I'm Sheila Cass speaking with Baltimore Mayor Brandon Scott, who's running for re-election in a crowded field. In the May 14th Democratic primary, he's facing former Mayor Sheila Dixon, as well as Thiruvik Naraja, Bob Wallace, and several lesser-known candidates. There's a lot of attention to how your administration is spending federal pandemic funds. Only about a third of the $641 million in ARPA money, American Rescue Plan Act, has been earmarked. And if plans on how to spend it are not locked in by the end of 2024, the city could lose that money.
1: Yeah, we're not losing. I think that uh, folks are, are talking about this and not understanding and remembering, right? We know we're obligating all of these funds, Sheila, but folks have to remember why and when we got it. This was for covid COVID and COVID relief first to make sure uh, that people who didn't have jobs and businesses that were going to close and all these things could stay open. Right. We had to make sure that we did that. This originally was for COVID itself. We know that when we first got this money, we were still in the height of the pandemic and we were using we were told that we have to use this money for vaccines, for all of these things that we needed, that we know we no longer do. Treasury has trained some rules along the way that makes us adjust. But when folks think about and say things like, one of my opponents said, well, we should use, they should have used this to help recycling get back. That's exactly what we did. Right. We use it for the vehicles, for the training, for the CDLs, for the hiring of people, for all the things, the GPS and trucks uh, that they never had. People were still doing uh, uh, their routes by paper maps until I became mayor, Sheila. They said we should use them for pools and rec centers. That's exactly what we're doing. We have a a 15 million dollar new recreation center coming to the Board of Estimates. Form an opera contract next week. Folks have to understand how these processes work. The hotels are another example, right? They're saying like, "Oh, the mayor is only doing this now because for hotels that were purchased I, from homeless." I, homelessness. I, I you yeah, left we, ahead. I want to yeah, ask you. we only. They only. You,
0: you, you, that was one of your top priorities when you came when to office. When came to office, office. but folks well, have you to. You wanted hotels to be good. shelters folks have for to homeless understand people, how and things just work. now starting to Real happen. Real
1: estate deals don't happen like that overnight. For example, right, we know the Inner Harbor sat there basically vacant and depleting for like 20 years before I came into office and we got it moving. We have to understand you're entering into big contracts. No one's is going to, we have to first go out and find which hotels may want to sell. You have to negotiate with them. We have to make sure that everything is right. It has to work with our partner in the comptroller's office in real estate because I don't get just to make the decision on my own. We do these things the right way, not the fast way. But I think the most important thing that anybody that's listening will know and hear is that you don't hear President Joe Biden you don't hear our U.S. congressmen and senators. You don't hear the Department of Treasury talking about the city of Baltimore is not doing it the right way. In fact, you hear the opposite from them. You hear us being lauded for how we're handling the money, how we're using it. They use us as an example of what people should be doing, and we're going to continue to do that way to make sure that we're not sending money back.
0: Okay, it takes a long time. That means three winters without these shelters. Three well, no. Of people. I think
1: it's important to note that these hotels we were using as shelter and many others with these covet relief funds that they were intended those uses were intended for in the first place that's one of the reasons why we decided to purchase these because we know this these this hotelier these hotels are used to dealing with the population they can manage the facility uh, not the operations part as far as the services and things like that but the actual physical facility these hotels were already being used for that and now we're going to make sure that this is permanent Uh, uh, A permanent use. And what better place to have it when you have the health care for the homeless right down the street and you know folks can get the services and things that they need.
0: And of course, the larger problem is that rents are just... Unaffordable. The median asking rent in this metropolitan area is just under $2,000 a month. How can a working class people live in Baltimore?
1: Well, I think that that's one of the reasons why we put $100 million of that offer money into housing and affordable housing and, and projects, right? We know that we have to do more work there this is why we have myself and build and gbc developed this three billion billion dollar dollar problem uh, uh plan to deal with the vacants in baltimore city which by the way are at its lowest point in 20 years following the model that we're following because we know we have to create more affordable housing and opportunity for folks here in Baltimore. When you see what's happened in East Baltimore and Oliver and Johnson Square where working class people are now no longer renting but owning homes in those neighborhoods. When you see the things that are happening now in my childhood neighborhood of Park Heights where finally after many, 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 many decades, we have shovels in the ground on, on projects that we know people have waited for a long, long time. That is the work that we're doing. But that's also why we're doing things like extending. I added more money money inside of our rental assistance program. We're focusing in on middle neighborhoods with a middle neighborhood strategy to make sure that we're increasing black home ownership in the city of Baltimore. All of these things that have been happening and have been accelerated by, by my being in office and with a deeper focus on that equity and inclusion for all.
0: Got to take a quick break in our conversation with Baltimore Mayor Brandon Scott. This evening at 5.30, our own Tom Hall, host of WIPR's Midday, and Lisa Snowden of Baltimore Beat will ask Mayor Scott and other candidates about environmental issues facing the city. More details later in the show when we're back from a quick break, schools in a shrinking city. I'm Sheila Cass. Stay with us. Welcome back to On the Record. I'm Sheila Cast. Baltimore Mayor Brandon Scott is with us, running for re election. In the May 14th Democratic primary, he faces former Mayor Sheila Dixon, as well as Thiruvigna Raja, Bob Wallace, and several lesser known candidates. Mayor Scott, Baltimore City's population continues to shrink. 2020 census data shows just over 585,000 residents, a continued drop of 6% from the census in 2010. In your view, why are people leaving?
1: Well, we know. I think that when you have the issues that we have here in Baltimore, I think we have to understanding and talk head on about the issues of redlining systemic racism in Baltimore that led and, and we know this started way before I was born Sheila with white flight leaving in Baltimore and we have to turn that tide and now that's about showing the things that we can do that's about showing uh, how we can make that progress in education that's about showing how we can invest in neighborhoods uh, that have been disinvested in for generations purposely that's about us making sure that we're continuing the work in public safety Safety. And also uh, uh, growing our population in a smart way, because we know that young, many people are moving from the city. Right. But we have to keep them here in Baltimore about providing the things that good families want in our city. And you can only do that by making those investments. And we're going to continue to do that.
0: You mentioned education, the cost, the cost of the blueprint for Maryland's future, the state's pre-K through grade 12 reforms keeps Rising, mm-hmm. you called the multi-million dollar increase it mandated in school funding last year "quote a gut punch."
1: Yeah, that's uh, it was it, it was a gut punch not because of the increase. I think this is uh, what myself and the Prince George's County executive and I think that I know that my my uh, counterparts in this election are trying to misuse words in this instance. Uh, we were told. That our funds were a certain level the first year We've been talking about this that, that for many, many years And then the second year would be another another amount At the last minute, at January of last year uh, When Governor Moore came into office His team alerted us that the previous administration had some things wrong And that our numbers were going to increase I think that's what made it a gun punch Because we were all of us are already operating under what we were told before But what did I do? I went and found that money and didn't blink because the blueprint is the right thing to do. Uh, this is why I am proud to be a mayor who has put more money into Baltimore City Public Schools and a budget than any in history. Because, Sheila, how different would Baltimore be if they fully funded schools when Brandon Scott was in them? How many more of my classmates from elementary, middle, and high school would be alive or not struggling with drugs or not struggling with a a low-end job if they value our education the way the blueprint is going to value the education of our young people today. And that's why we're going to continue to do it. I've been proud to open more new schools in Baltimore City than any mayor in recent history to help us continue uh, uh, the 21st Century Schools Program. We're now at the point where every single school building in Baltimore City uh, has funding to have air conditioning, right? We know how big of a deal that is for me who sat through classrooms without heat or air uh, through either the new schools being built on the renovations. Uh, we added some funds into that ourselves to make sure that that happened. Uh, This is about now also supporting our school communities, right? We have to grow our school communities and supporting uh, the education and the services for the families as well. We've seen uh, um, much of the progress the city schools has made, even in the recent things that the state put out post-pandemic. We saw gains that Baltimore City was outgaining the rest rest of the state. Okay,
0: but some of what's going on in the schools, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, half... The pupils in the city missed 10% or more yes. classes last year. That's the definition of chronic absenteeism. Mm-hmm. Th- at 13 schools last fall, no students tested proficient in math. I mean, are you satisfied with the current leadership of Baltimore Schools? Well, I Baltimore think this is, not,
1: this is not just about leadership. I think you, we all have to put into context what these young people in particular went through. If you are 14, 15 years old right now, Sheila, 13 years old, your formative years uh, uh, learning in middle school were not, they weren't good. You are learning at home, and we know the issues that our young families have around access to Internet and things like that. We have to wrap our arms around these young people in ways that we haven't before. And as you spoke about chronic absenteeism, I know myself and other members of my team, we been we go out and walk. And when I do my neighborhood walks and have we talk to school principals and leadership so that we can go and reach out to those families, we've done a great job of reconnecting young people that squeegeed. Back into school, right, to make sure that we're doing that We have to wrap around these young people Everybody and their families Because when you're talking about living through what they lived through On top of Sheila, all the things that they already have to live through in some of the neighborhoods that they're growing up in, we have a duty to expand that. The funding will help. The more programming will help. But it's also about pulling the community in to uplift these young people and supporting the leadership, not just at the CEO level at Baltimore City Schools, but at the principal level. And when I'm talking with our principals and what they need, it's always about how can we get more Caring adults and to help with our young people, to read with them, to help them with their math, to do all of these things. And everyone in Baltimore should be helping and volunteering to uplift these young people because we know they're extremely talented. We just have to help them uh, get to the point where they need to be.
0: This is On the Record. I'm Sheila Cass speaking with Baltimore Mayor Brandon Scott. He's running for re-election in a crowded field. Election Day is May 14th. Early voting begins May 2nd. There is a ballot initiative to shrink the size of the city council from 14 to 8. What effect do you see that having?
1: I think that we we know these ballot initiatives are being pushed mainly by a, a certain media, a media outlet.
0: Well, let's be quite clear. It's a group called mm-hmm. P.E.A.C.E., which stands for People for Elected Accountability and Civic Engagement, largely bankrolled by David L. Smith, the new majority owner of the Baltimore Sun and executive chairman of Sinclair Broadcasting and P.E.A.C.E also led the successful ballot effort two years ago to impose term limits on the mayor and city council.
1: I think that this, uh, the recall thing that folks are talking about, and even the property tax thing, which I know you want to get to later, is very dangerous. Uh, We, and I think that uh, the columnist at The Sun, uh, Dan Rodericks, laid this out very clearly a few years ago with the term limits thing. Uh, When I came into office uh, in late December of, of 2020, uh, the next month, uh, folks from that station started asking me about term limits and recall. Should you be able to be recalled, Mr. Mayor? Do you think you should have term limits? Term limits, which, by the way, I voted for on the city council before uh, Before this. No other media outlet. Sheila, you never asked me about that. Uh, our good friend that hosts Midday never asked me. Nobody at WJZ, no WBL, no one at WMAR ever asked about it, and they ran it. Every single day. And then what happened? He himself paid for it to go on the ballot. This is a very dangerous thing. This is uh, folks trying to impact, and we know because they said it out loud to the reporters and we've been reported in the banner, impact policy through media. They can bully things on the ballot. They can buy things through media. And this is a a affront to not just Baltimore's democracy, but American democracy. And we, the voters of Baltimore, should be very cognizant of not being a test tube for right wing folks to just take over government uh, via media and ballot measures.
0: When I ask why people are leaving the city, you did not mention taxes, mm-hmm. but Baltimore's property taxes are very high.
1: They are. And we, we have a plan for that. And we have actually put that plan out as a part of our vacant strategy. Uh, we know uh, we often hear from folks. In places around Maryland and surrounding counties and around the state uh, Telling us, why can't Baltimore be like all these other cities? Why don't they fund themselves like these of these other cities, Sheila? And we know that there's a crazy plan out there right now That would take about $500 million out of the city budget Which means that services will be cut uh, I'm of the belief that the folks that are pushing it Actually know that and they want to drive poor people people of color out of the city so that baltimore can be dc 2.0 where it used to be called chocolate city and now they call it latte city we can't have that here in baltimore we can reduce property taxes in a responsible way and help uh, those legacy folks and people who've lived here for so many generations remain in their homes and Im- Im- invite more of them to be property owners and this is how we would do it when you look at cities around the country sheila eighty nine percent of them uh, get to keep some of their state local sales tax locally baltimore does not Uh, when you go to philadelphia if you go to st louis our sister city because they're independent city as well uh, the money that is spent in their city they get to keep some of it if and which we've asked for some of the
0: sales some of the sales
1: tax if for example i think in st louis it's a four four split in some places the state gets more some places the city gets more just depends on the on the place right if the state of Maryland allow Baltimore City to keep 2% of its sales tax, I would use 1% of that, which is around 70-something million dollars, right? And every single homeowner in the city would get $1,000 off their property taxes a day, effectively putting our rate right around the places around, or sitting around us. But we have to be allowed to do that, right? Uh, that is what we should be focusing on. Comparing apples to apples, Baltimore is a city. Comparing it to other cities, is and that a the state, simple
0: vote of the state legislature? A, they it? have
1: to pass. It has to pass the state legislature. By the way, for your for your listeners, there is one jurisdiction in Maryland that the state does allow to keep some of its local sales tax. It's Ocean City, and we all know it's a tourist destination. But we all know more tourists come here everyone who gets sick in this state comes here they spend money here the hospitals and the hospitals we have a quarter of our of our of our property tax base that we can't tax we should be allowed to do what all these other states and cities did in the 70s right to uh, to counteract what was happening with the deindustrialization and all of those things we should be allowed to do that here allow us to have that 1% to use to reduce property taxes in baltimore today
0: We have to leave it there. Thank you, Thank you very much. Baltimore City Mayor Brandon Scott is running for a second term. Sixteen other candidates are vying for the office. Tonight, he and other candidates will answer questions about pollution, climate resilience, and sustainability. The forum is sponsored by a coalition of more than two dozen environmental groups. It will be moderated by Baltimore Beat Editor-in-Chief Lisa Snowden and WIPR's Tom Hall. 5.30 to 7.30 p.m. tonight at the Mount Lebanon Baptist Church at 2812 Reisterstown Road. We've got more information at the On the Record page at wypr.org. I'm Sheila Cast. Glad you're with us on The Record. Come back tomorrow.